Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Joe's Weather World, your only weather podcast dedicated to Kansas City. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Joe's Weather World, a podcast dedicated to all things weather, some climate, which we're diving into once again today. And we kind of dived into this in our last podcast, as a matter of fact, with the folks from Climate Action KC. There were a group or are a group that's looking for ways of improving our lives here in the Kansas City area as our weather and as our climate uh, changes over the coming decade or decades. And I thought today the podcast would be uh, kind of devoted to that. And uh, to that end, I wanted to bring in uh, somebody who uh, knows probably much more about this than I do. And as I was talking to him a second ago, I was telling him that I know just enough to kind of be dangerous, uh, but I'm always looking to learn. And I'm hoping that um, we could kind of teach you as well, listening uh, to this podcast, a little bit more about the changing climate that uh, not only we face here in Kansas City, but the middle part of the country faces, and uh, to obviously a much larger extent, uh, what the world is facing over the coming decades, over the coming centuries. Uh, so this podcast is dedicated to climate change. And with me is a professor from uh, UMKC uh, by the name of Jimmy Adegoke. Pronounce that right? All right. I got the thumbs up from Jimmy. Jimmy, thank you. Thanks for coming in and joining us today. Pleasure, Joe. Pleasure. Uh, thank you. Uh, so, uh, Jimmy, before we kind of get into what I wanted to talk to you about, I wanted to ask you just a little bit about yourself. You're, you're not from America, are you? Correct. Yeah. Um, I'm originally from uh, Nigeria. Interesting. Um, I've lived here now for uh, close to 30 years. So I uh, came back in the early 90s for grad school. Okay. So I went to Penn State um, and completed a PhD there. Um, and, and after that, took on a job as a government scientist for a few years. Uh, so I lived in Colorado, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, um, and moved to Kansas City in 2002. So 18 years count, counting. What, what brought you to Kansas City? <laughs> um, to take this job okay. um, as a professor at uh, the University of Missouri, Kansas City. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, coming from Nigeria, uh, for me, I, I like to ask this question, and, yeah. and maybe you have a great answer, maybe you don't have a great answer. Yeah. Uh, for me, my world changed uh, growing, growing up in New York because I was fascinated by snow. I love snow. Yeah. Is, was there anything that got you into the world of meteorology, climatology? Was there anything that triggered that desire within you? Um, interesting question. Um, no, it was just one teacher. It really, you know, it was it was um, it was just one of my professors when I was doing my undergrad. I wanted to study physics. Okay. I wanted I wanted a degree in physics, 
And this guy, um, really nice professor, really nice. Uh, he had just come. He had just finished his PhD from Canada, and all of us liked him. I mean, he was he was nice. He had a nice car. He had everything, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And he was like, "Look, Jimmy." Um, I did well in his class too. Nice. <laughs> like, that helps. That helps. He <laughs> said, like, "Jimmy, you know, you can either spend your life in a lab, wearing a lab coat, okay. and locked up somewhere in some nice-looking lab with all kinds of equipment, or you study the atmosphere, study the weather, and you get to travel the world. You get to deal with um, stuff, you know." And and then he said, at that time in Nigeria, I said, "Look, we have." hundreds of physicists in Nigeria at that time. Mm -hmm. And he said, I can count on my fingertips the number of folks <laughs> who are experts in weather or climate or climatology. So this is an open field for you. I listened to him, and I'm glad I did. And you're glad you did. That's amazing. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I like that. Uh, so you've been doing this now for how many years? Well, um, actually all my, all my adult life, right? Um, so... I, I, I started out in Nigeria um, as a teacher, as a lecturer mm -hmm. at, at a university there. Um, so I did my first and second degrees in Nigeria, and I studied climate science, climatology, um, and came out here to, 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 to the U.S. Um, to do doctoral studies. So I would say I've, I have been messing around this field for probably the last 35 years or so. And as a professor of Correct. climatology, um, what is involved with that? What What is your day-to-day -day life more or less like at this point? Okay. Um, I'm a research scientist primarily. Okay. Okay. And, and, um, and also um, a, a teacher. So my time is split mostly between those two things. Okay. Um, I, I run a lab, I run a research lab here, and I'm director of that research lab. And over the years, um, we have trained uh, dozens of students, dozens of graduate students who have come in here, obtained their master's degrees from all over the world, really. Um, right now, I have four doctoral students, four PhD students, and a couple of master's students in my research lab. We, we get um, funded to do a range of climate-related stuff. Mm -hmm. um, uh, my expertise coming out of uh, Penn State was really around Midwest climate systems. And so I knew I was going to end up somewhere in the Midwest. Right. <laughs> you know? um, and then I do quite a bit of, um, well, not quite a bit, but I, I would say 30% of my time is spent in the classroom, okay. which I, I love, which I enjoy a lot. Every, every fall, I teach um, a class uh, on weather and climate for um, um, undergrad students, mm -hmm. who, which introduces them to this whole field of, um, of, of climate and, 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 and weather. Uh, really interesting class. I have probably about close to 40 students in that class this semester. Interesting, wow. And uh, so we've had a great time, and we're wrapping that up now in a few weeks. And so from there, the students then do what? In other words, what would be their next step? They take your, your weather and climate class, and then what do they decide they want to go from there? Okay, so Earth and Environmental Sciences is the department where I teach. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where I work. 
So students can um, obtain a degree with an emphasis area in physical geography, uh, in geology, or in environmental science. So we have a series of courses um, that address climate-related issues. Um, so so the weather and climate is the intro class. And so they can come in and take, and then there's another colleague of mine actually who is, a, who is an atmospheric scientist as well. Um, he's newer, we hired him three or four years ago, and, um, and so he's introduced a number of new courses as well. So w w in this area of climate and, and atmospheric science, we have about six classes. Oh, wow. Yeah, six different classes. So, so, so this fall as well, um, I'm teaching an upper level class, which we call um, satellite climatology. So in this class, we introduce students to the use of um, uh, satellite systems, satellite data, satellite information to do um, high level analysis about what's happening to the climate mm -hmm. system. So um, the pathway for the undergrads is a degree in one of this, specializing in one of these areas, geology, environmental science, or geography. And then for the graduate students, um, you get a master's degree, you can either go on to do a PhD, a PhD degree with us or somewhere else. Um, and if you're a PhD student, um, our graduates have gone on to either become professors elsewhere, go on to, into the private sector to work, um, or go on to work for government agencies. Interesting. Um, uh, um, yeah. I, I, I wanted to bring that up just because uh, for those of us within the world of weather and weather communications, we're very familiar with uh, Kansas and Missouri both having uh, good programs in the world of meteorology, uh, but I don't think we're as familiar, I certainly wasn't, uh, with UMKC being an option. Yeah. if you wanted to get into the world of uh, climatology especially. So this all leads into perfectly uh, one of the questions that I get asked the most of and uh, that you could maybe uh, elaborate a little bit more. Basically, uh, it's a simple question, I think, but a lot of folks who aren't as familiar with what we do uh, in this particular scientific field, what is the difference between weather and climate? Mm. Interesting, which is the very first question right? <laughs> that I ask my students in this intro to weather. Works out perfectly. <laughs> um, weather is the day-to-day -day changes that we experience. And, and I tell them that, hey, um, you just need a couple of days in Kansas City. And you will experience. Right. You might get first, all four seasons, right? First, first hand <laughs> what weather is. <laughs> because our weather really never stays the same. Correct. You know, um, it goes back and forth. It goes up and down. Um, cold and hot. Rains, it doesn't rain. That is weather. Now, when you average that over a period of time, often we look at a period of about 20 to 25 years. Okay? So... The mean state, the average state of the, the weather, you know, averaged over such a long period of time, that is what climate is. Mm -hmm. So if I say, what's the climate of Kansas City? Um, I am saying that, you know, say, say with regards to rainfall, for instance, I'm looking at, well, what has our average rainfall been like over the last 
20 to 25 years. You know, that is what climate is. It's uh, so when folks are talking about changing climate or climate change, uh, they are actually referring to um, the changes in the average state of climate. You know, over a, over a long period. Over of time. a period of time, and this is where I think sometimes uh, things get kind of difficult uh, for the layperson to understand because. The subject you just brought up, for example, precipitation. And this is the reason why you need to look at climate as a much broader picture than what happens over the course of, of a day or two days or even a couple of years. We've seen just here in Kansas City in the last 10 years, yeah. uh, you know, moisture levels go annually from around 25, 30 inches in a year to now we've had this year in 2019, we've had close to 50 inches and counting. You get tremendous extremes, which are not that uncommon, I, I think, yeah. here in the middle part of the country. And that's why the, the importance of looking at a broad, long-term thing mm. for numbers is perhaps more important than looking at, oh, well, it's cold tomorrow. Yeah. You know. and, and that's exactly right, Joe. Um, you know, when I talk about um, climate with ref or changing climate or climate change with regards to precipitation or rainfall um, in the Midwest, the way I'd like to talk about it is um, you look at major, major flood events, okay? There are certain events that you don't expect to see, you know, over a period of, say, 100 years. So we call those a 100-year flood event. Mm -hmm. You know, so if you've lived here in the Midwest, you were here in 1993, and you experienced that. That's a 100-year flood event, you know. Um, what that means is that we look at data over a fairly long period, and we say that the probability of an event like that happening is once, you know, in about right. 100 years, yeah. you know. Um, well, here's the deal. Um, in the Midwest here, over the last 25 years, we've had three, almost four of those types of 100-year events. That is changing climate. Mm -hmm. That tells us that the average state of the climate with regards to precipitation is beginning to shift. Because what we knew or what we thought we knew about the base condition, the average state of the climate, is no longer that valid anymore. When you're getting into that space, then you're getting into the space of changing climate. I think one of the things that um, I've noticed in, in some of my research and some of the information that I'll present on the weather blog or even at times on the air is uh, to some extent from a temperature standpoint, Yes. Uh, at least to me when I look at the numbers, it, it's not as stark of a change during the daytimes, especially, at least yes. to me, yes. in, in this part of the country. Yes. Uh, I am just noticing when looking at the data from years ago, comparing the data to now, that there's been a, a, a slow migration upwards in overnight lows. Yes. The lows aren't as cold. Yes. Uh, the highs, though, it, it's kind of, well, take a look at, well, that didn't doesn't do a lot. Uh, I, you can notice it to me, in low temperatures, uh, but you really notice it in precipitation yeah. uh, here in the middle part of the country, I think. And I agree with that. The, the caveat, or the one additional thing to add to that, is that the spikes 
the spikes in temperature, which when you average it out over a period of time, um, that disappears. But those spikes, which we call heat waves, mm-hmm. um, um, the, the sense that we have just by looking at the data is that we, we across the Midwest, we're beginning to see signatures of those increasing. You know, um, but when you do average it out, they, like you rightly said, they sort of disappear. And, and I would say, uh, with regards to temperature, any concern that we have with regards to temperature is really around heat waves. Um, the projections that we have done, the climate models that we run, um, really show that um, the, 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 the Midwest because of the effect of continent, continentality, we're right in the middle of the country, and, 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 and we're under the influence of these um, you know, high-pressure systems quite a bit during, right. the, during the summer months, um, that heat waves um, uh, are a really important area that um, we need to pay attention to because we're going to see a lot more of those. Um, that's what the models are telling us as we go into the future. And when you live, uh, especially those with lower-income uh, or not as, as good a means, especially if you live in a very urban area, yeah. heat waves, uh, assuming they do worsen over the course of the coming decades, mm. um, heat is a big, big issue within urban areas, areas that can't cool down as well at night. Um, and if it does get hotter during the day, uh, we do know that heat kills, especially. Uh, here in Kansas City, and while we talk about tornadoes and thunderstorms and flooding, which are all big issues for us here, it's really heat for the metro area that's the greater issue yes. in terms of yes. Uh, yes. folks living. All right, so now, now, most people don't know this, and my students, in fact, in this class often also do not know this, that heat waves, heat-related deaths, are greater than any other right. cause of death for any climate or weather-related issue, right? Because everybody more people die on the news. You see hurricanes, tornadoes. A- exactly. The video's amazing. Exactly. And, and oh my gosh, look at that huge yeah. tornado. Yeah. Heat doesn't do well on the news. There's well, you could just show the the thermals rising off the pavement. That's well, right. big whoop. Mm-hmm. Um, but heat is it. I mean, heat's still a big, big issue. Correct. Absolutely so. All right, so so many different avenues we can go down. And, and um, I mentioned the Kansas City temperature trends are kind of a little weird. But when you look at, even here in the United States, before we get into the world, mm. even here in the United States, when you look at what's going on uh, in Alaska and you look at what's going on further north into the Arctic region, if you look at even this year down towards Hawaii, because the ocean is getting warmer around Hawaii. Hawaii is breaking records, daily records at a for temperatures, at a ridiculous clip in 2019. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think they're up to like 75 record highs in Hilo, and this year alone. And you see what's going on down in Florida and the Keys, especially Southern Florida. So while climate change affects parts of the country in different ways. Sometimes a lot of people just want to connect it to temperatures. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. Now let's take a look at what's going on in the northern latitudes. Yeah. Because that's where you could really see, I think, more of a temperature trend Correct. happening right now. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Um, so let's touch on uh, 
the globe. We've kind of did a little local, did a little regional, did a little United States stuff. Uh, so let's touch on the globe. You come from Africa. Mm-hmm. How do you feel that climate change is affecting mm-hmm. your home country? Well, let's let's take it from agriculture. Let's let's look at agriculture. That's 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 an important area for me. I've done quite a bit of work there. Um, um, I have a doctoral student. I was just talking to Joe earlier on before the start of this podcast that I have a PhD student now who's doing her research, um, looking at agriculture here in the Midwest, actually. It's a big Mm -hmm. program, project funded by the National Science Foundation. But we're interviewing farmers, um, trying to figure out um, how they, how they, what they know, um, how they experience change in climate, and how they, um, how they, how, what types of of resources are available to them, and how are they using those resources on the farm to mitigate and to manage the risk associated uh, associated with, uh, with, with with climate change. Um, there's a lot to say there, um, but I'm going to I'm going to segue into um, the work we've done in Africa as well in response to your question. The one difference, and I'm going to try to connect, say, a farmer. I was on the farm in Illinois three weeks ago um, at a dairy farm, um, 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 looking at that operation, that guy's operation. I mean, he's just as susceptible to changes. I mean, a lot of what we're just talking about um, heat waves, Mm -hmm. you know, livestock. Um, the impact on livestock is also significant, you know, especially dairy farming. Um, and we can go into those details uh, maybe later on. Um, but the reason why this farm um, is able to manage this, this risk is it, it's really because um, there are quite that farmer, that one farmer that I was on his farm a few weeks ago has access to quite a lot of resources to help mitigate and manage the effects of changing climate. That's what you do not have in in a lot of other parts of the world. You know, like like in Africa, where, where I was born, where I was raised. Um, a few years ago, I did a study, it was funded by the World Bank, um, for the government of Nigeria, actually, looking at the agricultural systems and, and to help develop a nas- national framework for how um, they sort of account for um, uh, climate variability in their agricultural programs and how they support their farmers. And one of the key areas is just water. Water, you know, there's very little irrigation that's available. So, Nigeria has, um, I don't know, maybe 200 million people, you know, and um, maybe maybe 50, 60, 70 million of those, you know, 40, 50% of their population are farmers, are Mm -hmm. small-scale farmers, you know. So small farm operations. So when you... When you when 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 you have very high temperatures, very high evaporation, and um, you don't get as much water, it directly affects right. you know your productivity on the farm. When you have a drought, just a little bit shift, you know. So for their issue over there is that the capacity to even deal with the year-to-year variability in climate 
is, 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 is not as strong. And then when you overlay upon that um, climate change type um, uh, impacts where um, over time, We've done a lot of work, for instance, with a colleague of mine here in in one area, you know, in in West Africa where they have the Lake Chad. You know, Lake Chad is a used to be a big inland inland lake. You know, a lot of that water has disappeared over the last 20, 30 years. You know, that's definitely a reaction to climate change. The place is getting hotter. Warmer, the uh, the the rainfall, you know, um, rec- you know, has, has decreased over that period of time as well, um, and so the impact is just massive mm-hmm. because you're looking at a, a basin that supports probably 20, 30 million people, you know, for agriculture, for fisheries, for all kinds of stuff. So my work. Um, in uh, a lot of countries across Africa indicate that um, um, climate change is not, it's not theoretical for those guys anymore. It's, 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 it's an issue that they're dealing with right now, and their governments, uh, um, uh, 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 they're paying attention, and they better pay a lot more attention you know, going forward. So this is the challenge, and how... How does either a a farmer respond, or how does a government respond? I think we can't well enough control the weather. Correct. Right. We can't just make it more or less. I mean, you could try. Uh, we can't make it rain for these farmers to fill what they need. So, what do they do? I mean, so yeah. this is where it gets very complicated. I yeah. think. Great question, and, and we grappled with this question in, in this study that we did for the World Bank for, for Nigeria quite quite a bit. And, but we, there, there are a number of things that, that you could do, and some of them are low-hanging fruits. You know. mm-hmm. um, let's talk about water management, for instance, on-site, on-farm water management, just um, small earth dams. You know. So you've you got to conserve what you have. You know, and we see that um, um, there's a lot of leakage and wastage in the system. You know, and water is a very, very precious resource. Especially that. So, right? so just walking around managing that, um, not really expensive big um, dams and stuff, but little water detention, water holding um, systems in place, on farm systems has a huge impact. That's one. Um, insurance. You know, insurance, pen, almost all of our farmers here in the U.S. have access to some form of insurance that they can access for, you know, to, to mitigate losses. It's, it's almost non-existent, you know. So a key recommendation that we put in place there was how to, um, just to get um, insurance products um, into the farming communities and farming systems, um, just two. Um, and then there are other, other th- ways in which you uh, post-harvest losses. It was very, it, although I grew up in Nigeria, um, I mean, I, I, it, when we were studying this thing, it was surprising to me that 60 to 70% of post-harvest um, uh, uh, um, products is lost, mm. you know, doesn't actually get to the market. Get to market. You know, so how do you just, just, just 
close improve, that gap. Right. Improve, improve that flow. That, flow. Mm -hmm. that in itself really enhances the uh, ability of farmers to, to have some reserve. Because like you rightly said, you cannot, you can't, you can't change the weather. You can't create more rain. You know, I mean, you can you can, you can try a number of things. Seeding, you know, whatever seeding, that's taken that out yeah, of the equation. Yeah, but but your best bet is to create a little fat around well, fat F A T mm -hmm. <laughs> a little a little a little you know um, uh, uh, comfort zone around the farmers so that they can better weather this year-to-year -year changes mm -hmm. so that you don't have to appeal to the international community for uh, food aid every year when there is a little change and there's a drought or something because your farmers themselves have the capacity you know to weather some of those changes you know from year to year that's how I that's 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 how I answer that so let's um, so I asked you a, a more basic question to start out the difference between weather and climate yeah and so let's go back to another basic question and let's talk about climate change and uh, I guess at its most basic definition, uh, how would you define climate change? Oh, um, th there's not one way, really, of defining climate change, Joe. Um, um, the simplest way that I could sort of um, get my mind around this is is using examples, mm -hmm. you, know, to, to, you know. So you're used to, over a period of time, you're used to um, a certain amount of, you've developed a comfort level around a an average state of a particular climate variable, say temperature, you know. So say, let's say, for example, over the last 200 years. Yes. Uh, the variability of temperatures when you look at the big, big picture, yeah. plus or minus, let's just say, one degree, yes. just to throw a number out yeah. there. So within that context, then what would climate change be? Would climate change be something along of the lines of, all right, so if you use that, let's just say, plus or minus one, and... Uh, boy, look at this, in the last 50 years, mm -hmm. we're not plus or minus one anymore. Mm -hmm. Now we're plus or minus three or four, or now we're plus three degrees that's or whatever. Right. Is that... That's a shift. That's a that's shift. That's a shift in right. the mean climate. In fact, what our models are telling us in the Midwest here um, is on the very low, assuming that we do some things, you know, and, and we don't, we, we, we reduce, you know, CO2 emissions, we're mm -hmm. smart about, it, you know, the options that we take, you know, over the next 30 to 40 years, mid-century, um, we will still experience about two to three degrees Fahrenheit increase in temperature, okay? And if we don't do anything, we can experience, we can expect between five and eight, or perhaps even a little more change in temperature. Now, two or three might sound changing, you know, degrees might sound. People well, are like, oh, very, very so little. what? It's 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 thirty five <laughs> and not thirty two <laughs> exactly. during the winter. Exactly. But, but there are larger ramifications. Exactly. To something like this. Yes. So what that means is that you will then within. Um, you, you know, that two degrees increase or three degrees can drive a faster um, hydrologic cycle, 
you know, hydrologic cycle is a cycle of rain, clouds, and rain again, you know, and, and, and so you tend to want to have some of these more extreme events occur, you know, when, when, when you have a faster hydrologic cycle, you know. So that's, 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 that's one way to look at this. Um, but I also teach a class in, called Global Environmental Change where I take the long view. 11,000 years ago, we had we just came out of that's when we were coming out of the last ice age right. so and then that, that that ice age penetrated all the way from the north pole to just just north of missouri of kansas city right mm-hmm. here you know the missouri river you know that meant that almost everything from just north of us here all the way to the north pole was literally on the ice you know um so the earth itself goes through this these changes, these massive shifts from a cold face to a, to a warm face. And you bet that that's going to happen again mm-hmm. sometime, you know. Um, so, so, so climate change is embedded in our experience, you know, as, as, a, as a global system. The question is, the civilization that we know today, how long do we want to pre- pre- preserve and prolong that civilization? And if we know that that civilization could be at risk, you know, then you've got to buy a little bit of insurance. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what we scientists are talking about is, hey, guys, you know, we're talking to our policymakers, we're talking to our, gov- to our governments. Is that we need to buy a little more insurance so that we can preserve this life that we know, at least for ourselves, for the generations coming after us, you know, um, until, mm-hmm. until <laughs> we have to deal with another out. ice right. age. <laughs> Whenever that comes. Whenever and, that comes. And so this is one of the, 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 the tough <laughs> things about this is, you know, if you go back eons and eons and eons, and you kind of alluded to it, we know the earth was warmer at one point. Correct. We know the earth was colder at one point. We've had these natural variability things going on for millennia. Yeah. Really, since the Earth was created back way back mm. when. What we're more focused on right now from a climate standpoint is, yeah, but that's fine. That's all well and good. However, something is seriously a little out of whack when you look back at just the last 50 years or something like that. Correct. That this can't be explained away as a temporary Earth warming phase just because temporary Earth warming phases typically aren't as abrupt. Would that be a way of... Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So let's backtrack uh, just a step and talk about uh, greenhouse, the the greenhouse effect, uh, and kind of bring it home in a sense. Mm. Um, What would be the best explanation of how the greenhouse effect is sending us down this path that we're going down? Mm. So, so the greenhouse, everybody here in the Midwest probably has some understanding or, um, you know, at least yeah, knows what a greenhouse is because we're in an agricultural region, right. you know, so we, we, we have them all over, all over the city here. It's just an enclosure that keeps the atmosphere within that enclosure a little warmer than it normally would have been without that enclosure. Mm-hmm. So in the atmosphere... The Earth, one of the one of one of the unique aspects of the Earth, is that we have this envelope of gases, you know, that include gases like 
carbon dioxide, naturally occurring, right? Methane, you know, those gases help to trap heat, you know. So all of the heat energy that drives everything. And this has been going on forever. Correct. For a long, 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 long Correct. time. It's always Correct. been there. That's not even... C Correct. Right. So, so, so in fact, without... We need it. I without, mean, exactly. Yeah, we need Without those it. greenhouse gases, right. the earth would we'll not be, be habitable. Right. That's why mass, you know, is, is solid, you know, ice, mm -hmm. whatever it is, you know. Um, th th that um, greenhouse effect isn't, isn't really there, mm -hmm. you know. So um, the concern, though, is that fossil fuel burning and, and even just a lot of land use change that has occurred. You take the Midwest, for instance, 100 years ago, 100, you know, 20 years ago, this was all prairie, you right. know, high grass prairie. I mean, look, look around you now. It's, it's, it's farmlands, it's, 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 you know, suburbs, you know, cities, pavement you know, and pavement yeah. and all of that, you know. Um, massive change has occurred in the, just the land use mm -hmm. and, and it's, you know, to which we, you know, that, that, that around us here, you know, and, and globally it's the same thing. So if you look at that, um, and overlay that or, or, you know, add that to all of this technology that we, we, we brought in place, you know, to, that, that uses, um, you know, lots of energy to drive them and will produce our energies through, you know, burning fossil fuels in one way or another. Um, so we uh, have sort of put, we're putting a lot more of these gases, this CO2 gases, this type, I mean, this greenhouse gases, CO2, methane and all of that into the atmosphere. And so it is accelerating the greenhouse effect of that, of these gases. Um, and that's where the problem is. So, yeah. In, in, in effect, I think we're going to wrap this up. Um, in effect, we need to have, uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, let's just, th all right, think about your bed. You need, at night, you have a little blanket on there. Keeps you warm. Yeah. We need to have that little blanket to sustain life here on Earth. Absolutely. The problem that our society, the globe in general, is having is by us um, contributing to the greenhouse effect, we're not only now having that little blanket, now we're throwing a down comforter on top of that mm -hmm. and maybe even another down comforter on top mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. So we're slowly but surely gradually overheating would be, yes, I guess, a yes. way of looking yes. at that. And, 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 and the risk there, the risk there is that we might, we might, we might, we might push the system. That's the fear and the risk. This, this climate system to one of those thresholds. Mm -hmm. and, and, and if you get to a threshold that you don't, you cannot really control, then some studies have in fact shown that we can precipitate something like a mini ice age. Oh, really? Yes. We can, it's like you can flip a switch, you know. Now, we don't know what that switch is, uh -huh. but science is telling us that um, by accelerating this greenhouse effect, we're pushing ourselves and the global system, climate system, to, to an edge that makes the probability that one of those f switches could 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 be flipped, 
and and the effect becomes uh, unpredictable. Mm -hmm. And I do not think that we want to see that. No, interesting. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to wrap up. This is going to be part one. And uh, I knew I would get off on 17 different tangents, mm -hmm. and we've gone into 17 different tangents. Uh, we're going to do a part two to this podcast as we dive deeper into uh, the effects of climate change and what climate change means to this part of the world. So uh, I want to thank the professor for helping us out with part one. Part two will be uh, also dedicated to climate change, and that's how we're going to wrap up this part one. Uh, episode. So thank you so much for listening to Joe's Weather World. Uh, get ready for part two. It'll be released here uh, if it hasn't been already in the next couple of weeks. And with that, Professor, thank you for helping us out with part one. <laughs>